Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. We hope today's message encourages you and strengthens your walk with God. Enjoy the message. And so now we're on part four. And part four, we're going to pick up in in 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, We're going to pick up with the prophet Elijah. And as he's coming down, Mark Carmel, because let me give you a precursor to part four real quick, is, is that we've talked all about uh, going up a mountain. We, we've talked about what to do at the top. But part four is, is what do we do when we're going down the mountain? What, what do we do after we have that mountaintop moment? And so the title for tonight, if you, want, if you turn to your neighbor, say the title for tonight's message, say after the altitude. After the altitude. So let, let's pray real quick. Uh, Father, we thank you that tonight is dedicated towards your spirit, that we are not here for any other reason other than seeing your will be done. So, Father, we thank you for miracles, signs, and wonders taking place. We thank you, Father, that people who walk into this place brokenhearted, that they're going to leave free, God, that tonight is is a breakthrough night, Father. I believe that tonight can be a night that is an anchor night, meaning that we're going to anchor ourselves in you tonight, knowing that whatever the waves take us, we know who holds us, God. So we just thank you for tonight, for miracle signs and wonders taking place, for change being broken, God, and that tonight is going to be, be an awesome night with you, Jesus. And everybody says, amen, amen. Let's give Jesus one more hand clap tonight. It's a little uh, context about the scripture we're picking up in 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, if you don't know about the story on Mount Carmel, uh, let me give you a quick brief overview of what happened in chapter 18. Uh, so um, what happened is that Israel's soul was really being fought over right now in chapter 18. It says that uh, Israel was, was caught between um, trying to serve two gods. Uh, um, Queen Jezebel brought in this paganistic worship to, to this false god Baal, and, and it really had poisoned and, and soured the soul of Israel. And they were worshiping this false god. And, and so finally God sends Elijah, and he sends Elijah to, to, to go up to Mount Carmel to call out the prophets of Baal. And, and, and this is what he told him to say. He said, you tell the prophets of Baal to build an altar to their God and for you to build an altar to me. And, and God said, the, the, the God that responds with fire, that will be the true God. And as we know how the story plays out is that, you know, the 500 prophets of Baal, they're, they're cutting themselves, they're doing all these weird things, trying to get their, their false god to respond, but there's no response because we know that it wasn't real. But all Abraham, or not Abraham, all Elijah did was just pray to his God, and all of a sudden fire came down from heaven, totally told that, you know, the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob was the true God. And so all these prophets of Baal, they see this, they have this awakening moment, and Israel sees this, and then it says that Israel turns on the prophet of Baal and wipes them all out. And so I can see how Elijah in that moment is like, okay, that's the moment. Like, that's the moment. Things have to change now. Like, like there's no way Israel can, can not know who the true God is. And this is all happening in, in front of King Ahab, um, the king of Israel. And that's where we pick up in the story in chapter 19. Verse 1, it says, Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. So Elijah, this, this, this prophet of God, Elijah 
has this you know, witness, God sent fire down from heaven. And he's like, okay, now's the moment where, where Ahab and Jezebel, they're, they're definitely going to repent now, right? Like, they're definitely going to say, okay, look, okay, now I realize, you know, that was the wrong decision. That was the wrong God to serve. I'm like, God's totally proved himself. Like, now I can see Elijah think, okay, now it's time to repent because Elijah, he loves Israel. He, he's fighting for the people of Israel. He doesn't want them to be sold out to the wrong things. And so, he's, so now he's, he's thinking, okay, now for sure Jezebel and, ah, and Ahab, they're going to they're gonna realize their, their, their sins and turn towards God. But it says they double down on their wickedness. And it says that they turned on Elijah and that they were going to kill him and go after him. So Elijah in this moment right now, he's, he's discouraged and he's, and he's disappointed because the story isn't unfolding how he thought it would. And it, as you pick up in, in verse 3, it says, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. He was afraid and he ran for his life. The man who witnessed God, who witnessed God send fire down from heaven, is afraid of the words from man. How quickly can we forget about the power of God sometimes? How quickly sometimes can we forget about the goodness that happens in our life? And how quickly can we overlook all of what God has done for us? Elijah, the, the, the prophet of God, uh, he, he's definitely the most well-known prophet and, and arguably the greatest prophet of the Old Testament. He says that, that he was afraid of the words of man and ran for his life. So whenever we get discouraged, whenever we feel like things are, are, are coming against us, that is the time not to forget about God, but to remember what he's done for us. That's the time to think about his goodness. That's the think, time to think about the, the power of God, what you've seen him do for you. Because see, what the enemy wants, you to, wants to happen, he wants to happen to you. What happened to Elijah is to for, totally forget all about the things that God has done for you. There's been times in my lives where I, feel, where I feel God or the enemy trying to overcome me with something, and I begin to think, oh, you know what, maybe you're right, but I, I got to remember, okay, no, hold up. I got to remember all the things that God did for me. I got to remember how good God has been to me. And that if he's done it for me once, then he can do it again. Because what I love about serving the, 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 the father that we have in heaven is that he never runs out. And so if he was good one time, he's going to be good again and again and again. And it doesn't matter what happens. The power of God is always going to be there. So I want to encourage somebody tonight who feels like they are in a battle. Because a lot of us tonight might feel like we're in a battle. But we've got to remind who is ourselves of who is on our side. Who is our general? Because we've got to remind ourselves that if God is for us, then who can be against us? If God is leading the charge... We have no reason to be afraid of man. We got to remember who sent fire down from heaven. Come on, somebody. We got to remember who the Son of God is and what his blood has done for us. We got to remember those things. In the darkest places, we got to remember those things because that's what's going to bring us back into the light. And said so Elijah, see, he had this mountaintop moment. He had this mountaintop moment with his faith. He, he saw God send fire down from heaven, and it's just unbelievable, right? Like, like his faith is so built up, but yet you see him stumbling only a few moments later, coming down from that mountain. If you ask any experienced mountain climber, um, they will tell you uh, every time 
that going up the mountain is by far, you know, the most difficult part. You know, it's, it's, that's the toughest part. It's difficult. But then they also tell you that going down the mountain is the most dangerous part. It's the part where the most injuries happen. It's the part where the most slip-ups happen because going down the mountain, descending the mountain can be the most dangerous because usually the mountain climbers, they're, they're tired from their journey or they're low on rations, or a lot of times they're just in a hurry to get down. And on their way down the mountain is when they hurt themselves. There's, there's an old um, climbing saying that goes like this, is that, that going up the mountain is optional, but going down the mountain is mandatory. Going up the mountain is op- optional, but going down is mandatory. That going up the mountain, that's awesome, right? It's, it's so great. That's such an awesome moment. But who knows? That's not where the journey ends. But really, the test is yet to come. See, like, to, like tonight, I really believe we're going to have a mountaintop moment tonight. I, I really believe that, you know, this word, you know, by his grace is going to stir up our faith. And, and that who knows that the worship brought in his presence and, and that our belief is going to get built up and that our, that our faith is going to get built up. But who knows the real test isn't tonight. It's tomorrow morning. Right. The real test is tomorrow morning when the enemy tries to convince you of anxiety is going to happen today. The, the real test is going to be Friday night when the enemy is going to try to tell you to do something that you know you shouldn't do. That is when the real test is going to come. And that, that is what tonight is really all about. Tonight is all about what to do after the mountaintop. What, what to do after that, that moment of faith that you had. What, what to do after that moment of success. What to do when the valleys come. How do we handle disappointment right after we had this a great mountaintop moment? How do we handle things not going to plan right after what seemed like a, a moment that would change our life has happened? Because church family, if I just came up here and I just spoke to you about the mountaintop moments and I never told you about the, the valley floors, I would be doing you a disservice. If I just preached, and I just told you that if you follow Jesus, everything's going to be okay. You're never going to ever have struggle. Or you're never going to have a bad day. I would be doing a disservice because I believe that, that when you follow after Jesus, it doesn't mean that, that you won't have to go through storms, but it means that now he's going to be with you every step of the way. This is what is awesome about Jesus is that we are still going to experience disappointment at times. Or we're still going to feel discouraged at times. But with Jesus, now that pain that we have is no longer in vain. Because with Jesus, he gives you purpose. With Jesus, he gives you an assignment. With Jesus, now he's pushing us somewhere that aligns us with, we're, we're, with our passions, that aligns us with we're going. And now when we go through a struggle, we know now it has a purpose. Now when we go through a valley four, we know that God's taken us somewhere. So when God has a plan for you, you got to know God is with me at all times. It says that when we are weak, he is strong. Now that when we feel pain, it is not in vain because God is with us. In our weak moments, in the valley floors, the same God who's with you at the mountaintop, he will be with you at the valley floors, with you, encouraging you, delivering you, taking you places that you never thought you could go. So, yes, the mountaintop, they're awesome, but we can't forget about the valley floors. We got to know that this, this life with Jesus, there's going to be times when, when difficulties come, but we can't forget about his goodness. We can't forget about his faithfulness. And this is where Elijah is coming up. As we continue in scripture in verse 3, it says, Then Elijah, he, he came to Beersheba in Judah. He left his servant there. 
while he himself, somebody say himself, went a day's journey into the wilderness. See, Elijah right now, he's discouraged. He's getting depressed. He's disappointed. He's not in, good, he's not in a good headspace right now. Like, he is not in good headspace. And you know what the worst thing you can do when you're in the wrong headspace? The worst thing you can do is isolate yourself. That is the worst thing you can do is isolate yourself with those toxic thoughts. And, and that's what Elijah did because have you ever noticed when you get discouraged, the enemy tries to tell, tell you to, to isolate yourself, to cut off your friends because they don't understand, and to cut off your family because they don't get you, and to, and to isolate yourself in this place and have a, have a pity party, right, complain about everything that's going wrong, thinking about how it's not fear, thinking about how everything didn't go according to plan. Because I can just imagine Elijah right now. Elijah said, God, man, I did everything you told me. I even saw fire come down from heaven, and now they're, now they're out to kill me. Are you kidding me? And it's, it's so discouraged, and, and it's having a pity party. So I, I like to say it like this. Self-pity can become self-pollution real quick. And you can be making, you can be trapping yourself in your own toxicity and just drinking your own poison by just listening to your own thoughts. Isolate yourself. Make everybody around you and just get in the corner and, and then the enemy begins to speak to you and then the enemy tries to say, oh, yeah, it is on fear. Oh, yeah, yeah, see, God's there and try to convince you of all these things and try to isolate yourself. In Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 24, it says it like this. It, it says, this is, this is Paul talking. He says, let us think of ways to motivate one another, to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together. Somebody say together. As some people do, but encourage one another. That is what is so awesome and why we need the church. Because it's not for perfect people. It's not for people who are having good days. It's not for people who have it all together. It's for the brokenhearted. It's for the people who feel depressed and the enemy's trying to convince them of suicide thoughts. And that's why we need the church to come into the house of God, to surround ourselves with our brothers and sisters in Christ, and to remind ourselves of our identity. That's the purpose of the church is to come together. So don't neglect meeting together. To come together. Don't isolate yourself. If there's something that God is saying, don't isolate yourself right now. Don't isolate yourself with your thoughts. Don't isolate yourself with, with, with these thoughts the enemy's trying to convince you of. No, no, get with people who know you. Get with people who know Jesus. And so they can encourage you. The, the, the church can encourage you. Can you come in? Because who's ever been encouraged here at Riverside Church? Man, there's been many times when the enemy's trying to convince me of one thing. I'm saying, God, let's, let me, I just need to get to church. I just need to get to church. I just need to get in his presence. I need, to, I need to get with my church family and begin to talk with them and tell them about what's going on. And Because and I don't want to trap myself in my own self-pity and my own self-thoughts. I want to I surround myself with the church. And that is what's so awesome is, is that this place is built for people, for the broken people to come into. Jesus even said like this, that the, the house of God is, is for the sick to come in. It's for the brokenhearted to come in. He said it wasn't made for perfect people. That leads us to point one for tonight and talking about what to do after the mountaintop moment and we're going down and, and we're experiencing disappointment and we might be feeling discouraged. Point one is be solitude with God, but do not be isolated from people. Be solitude with God, but do not be isolated from people. Let me explain like this. A lot of times we think that to be solitude with God, to grow closer to God, means to grow farther away from people. 
We can think that if I want to go closer to God, well, then you know what? I have to spend, you know, 23 hours a day in a prayer closet, and I have to, you know, do all these things, and, and you know, I don't talk to people no more. I just talk to Jesus all day, you know, all these things. We think that that is doing something good for our mind, but, 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 God, but God is, what, what God is saying right now is for us to grow farther from, from people, to, for us to go farther from our brothers and sisters, that doesn't mean we're growing closer to God. Let us not neglect the people around us. Let, let us not neglect people in our pursuit of God. Jesus said like this. You want to know what Jesus said the last thing, one of the last things he said on earth in, in Matthew chapter 28, one of the last things he said to, to his disciples? He said this in verse 19. He said, therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't say go and spend all your day in the prayer closet. He didn't say go and, and spend all your time just, just being heavily minded that you're no earthly use. No, he said go and make disciples. What does that mean? It means you can't avoid people your whole life and expect to be in a good headspace. You can't avoid your brothers and sisters and, and, and avoid church and, and avoid conversating with people and think, well, all I need is to talk with Jesus. Well, no, Jesus is telling you right now you need to talk to people. You need to go and make disciples. Let's not be so caught up in, 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 in being heavily minded, right, that we have no earthly use, that we have no practical use. As we continue with the story in verse 4, he said, And then Elijah, he, he came to a broom bush, and he sat down under it, and he prayed that he might die. This man of God is praying that he might die. And he said, I've had enough, Lord, he said. He said, he said I have had enough. If I had a dollar for every time I said that, I'd have a lot of money. I mean, who's ever looked at God and said, okay, God, I've had enough? Like, have you ever done that? Like, I've reached my limit. Like, okay, God, I've been praying for this coworker like, every day. And I've even been nice to them, okay? And yet they're still rude. You know what? I've had enough. I've reached my limit. You know, I, didn't, I paid my dues. You know, or, or God, I've been doing that. I've reached my limit. Who's thankful that Jesus has no limits? Come on, church family. Who's thankful that Jesus has no limits? Who's thankful that it says in Scripture that his grace is sufficient? What does that mean? It means that you will never come to a point where his grace is not enough. You will never make enough mistakes in your life where God's going to look at you and say, okay, you reached your grace limit. You did, you're done. You know, you're out. You know? No, you, he said his grace is sufficient and that his, his love, his love for you has no, it has no limits. It's, it says it's unimaginable even to think about how much God loves you. It's unlimited. It's uncontainable. And that's the type of love that God has for us. Who's thankful for Jesus' love in this place? That it has no limits. It has no bounds. That there's never enough mistakes that will outweigh his love. His love will always be greater. And as we continue with verse 4, it said. And this is Elijah talking. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. And then he laid his head down under the bush and fell asleep. This prophet of God, like I said, the, he is the most well-known prophet in the Old Testament and arguably the greatest prophet you know, ever, Elijah. He is feeling so discouraged so stirred up, even though, let me tell you, if you ever read about Elijah, you know that God did some awesome things in his life. 
Like he, 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 you know, fed him many times miraculously. I mean, the, God sent fire down from heaven, and pretty soon Elijah will be one, one of only like three people to never experience death. It said that God swooped him up like a whirlwind into heaven. So God did some awesome things, and is going to do some awesome things for Elijah. But yet he finds himself in a moment, after all these experiences of great faith, he finds himself in a moment wishing for his own death. Just because somebody holds a high office, just because someone might be a pastor or a CEO or a business leader or a politician, that does not mean that they don't experience the same thoughts, the same depression, the same kind of attacks that, that you, know, you and I might, might feel. That is why it's so important to pray for our leaders. It is so important to pray for our leaders. Pray for leaders in the church pray for leaders in the city, the state, the nation, the business leaders, whatever. It is so important to pray for our leaders because we have to be the ones to say, you know what, you know, person in the high office, wherever it is, you are not in this alone. You have my prayers. You have my thoughts. I'm praying for my pastors. I'm praying for my leaders. I'm going to do my part. It says in scripture, we got to pray for those who hold authority. It is so important for us to pray for, for the leaders in our community. Because let me tell you something, they're the ones who have the biggest target on their backs. They're the ones that the enemy's really going to wish that they can take down. Because if, I, if, if the enemy can take down somebody up high, then he can impact all the people below them. That is why we have to pray for our pastors. And in the next verse really makes me laugh because this is what God tells them to tell, God tells Elijah to get him out of the slump. It says, all at once, an angel touched him, and he said, get up and fast. Oh, that wasn't it? A couple of y'all talking about he, he, you know, it. He looked at Elijah, he said, get up and go to your prayer closet. That wasn't it? He said, get up and take a selfie with your Bible so everybody knows you just had devotion. God told Elijah, to get him out the slump he was in, he said, get up and eat. Get up and eat. If you study scripture, you're going to find out that God you serve, he's a very, very practical God. Like, he's a very practical God. Like, if you read throughout scripture, like God tells his followers, you know, in scripture, the, the, the healthy diets to, to have. He even tells his followers to pay their taxes, if you read out something. Like, all these practical things he's telling them to do. You serve a very practical, practical God right now. I just want to tell you that. You serve a very practical God. And when you study scripture, you're going to see that over and over again. Because, see... Not only will God supply for us spiritually, but God will supply for us practically, physically. Don't think for a moment that God doesn't know the practical needs in your life. Don't think for a moment that God doesn't know the physical needs in your life. God knows everything. And not only that, he says that he will be a provider of those needs. That leads us to point number two we're talking about going down the mountain. Point number two is that we cannot sustain ourselves spiritually if we starve ourselves practically. We cannot sustain ourselves spiritually if we starve ourselves practically. Now, look, I'm not, I'm not talking about, you know, don't fast. Fast when God tells you to. I'm talking about making sure that we're living a kind of lifestyle that God has called us to live. I'm talking about making sure that our, our diet is under control, okay? I know I can hear some pins drop, so that's okay. That means I'm speaking to somebody. I, I'm talking about making sure we're taking care of the, of the temple of the Holy Spirit, 
Because how can you expect to have the right mind if you're not getting the right kind of sleep? I, I can tell you how many times people are like, oh, Caleb, I, 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 it's hard for me to focus. Hard for me to, I think I'm under, under attack. You know the first questions I ask them aren't spiritual questions. There's some practical questions. I'm saying, oh, okay, are, are you eating right? Are you getting good sleep? Well, you know, I'm not getting good sleep. I haven't gotten good sleep in a long time, if I'm being honest. Okay, okay, stop right there. Get some good sleep, right? Eat right for a couple days, and then you're going to feel the spirit that's on you start to go away, okay? God is a very, he's very practical. He's very practical. Like some of us are fine the spirit and infirmary. Oh, how do you say it? I forgot what the spirit was. Some of us are finding some crazy spirits. Really, we need to fight the, the spirit of Taco Bell is what I'm trying to say, okay? <laughs> We're thinking that these are evil spirits attacking us, but really we've had fast food for straight for months. And we're thinking we're in this slump, and we're thinking, oh, God, I'm in this spiritual battle. And God says, say, hey, just give your body a break and eat, eat a salad, you know? And you're going you're gonna to feel this spirit. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. Too. I love Chick-fil-A, guys. Okay? I love Chick-fil-A. I love, you know, if I had my way, if, if I wasn't married to Haley, I'd be eating fast food all the time, and I'd probably be, be struggling. But God is such a practical God. He's such a practical God. I mean, there's things that, that we're thinking that we need to overcome. Or we're really, we just got to take care of our temple. And that's why, like, we, we, have to, we have to take care of those practical needs. We have to take care of those physical needs. Because if you overlook those needs, and if you just put those on the back burner, I'm telling you, it's going gonna, it's gonna to make you suffer spiritually. I'm telling you, it, it's, it's going to make you be, fall short in some areas in your spiritual life because you're, falling, you're lacking in your practical life. Now, look, church man, I'm not saying to go to the gym, become a gym bro. Okay, I'm not saying you go, so, okay, I'm going to listen. I'm just going to, you know, spend five hours a day. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is you got to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. You have to. That is how God communicates with us is through our temple. He's given us this for a reason. We have to take care of it. You know, like some of us, we might be stressed out. We, we might be overwhelmed. We, but are we getting the correct rest? Are we taking some time off? Time off is a good thing. You know, God took, you know, on the seventh day, he took a day of rest. If God needs rest, how much more should we need rest? And I can't tell you, again, how many people I've talked to. And they're like, I'm so stressed out and I'm so overwhelmed. I'm like, well, you're, you know, you're working 18 hours a day and you haven't taken a break in months. Yeah, you're going to be stressed out and burnt out. But we have to take care. We have to take care of the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is anybody getting me tonight? I know that was a little back off on the spiritual, but we have to take care of ourselves practically. As we continue, verse 6. Well, let's get back in spiritual, okay? We'll get back spiritual, okay? Verse 6. He said, he looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water, and he ate and drank, and then he laid down again. He said he ate and drank, and then he went back to sleep. Elijah was so used to the provision of God. Because we remember so many things have, has happened in Elijah's life. Um, previously, it's, it, you know, it said that God provided Elijah food by ravens literally dropping, you know, Chick-fil-A nuggets on the top of his head. Like all these things that's happened in his life. And now he wakes up one morning. He sees IHOP by him. He eats it, and he goes back to sleep. Like that is how used he is to the provision of God. Some of us have made God's miracles so mundane. I want you to catch this. Some of us have made God's provision so mundane that we don't even notice it when it happens. We are so blessed, but yet we don't even notice it. 
God will do something crazy awesome right by us, like a salvation happening, and somebody whose soul is being saved right by us, and yet we say, I don't see God. I don't know. Like, God will do some awesome things, some moments, because there's no greater miracle than somebody being saved and somebody's <laughs> unloading hell, loading up heaven. There's nothing greater than that. So, some, God will do some awesome miracles in your life, but we would think it's so mundane. And, guys, we're so blessed we don't even know it. We're, we're, we're just blessed to, to be born here in America, to be, to be a citizen of America. We're just so blessed. We're extra blessed to be in Texas. You know, we're so blessed. We don't even know it. We overlook Elijah. He just had this awesome miracle, and he, he, he just went back to sleep. Some of us has it way better than what we think we do. We just have to look around and stop being so desensitized to what God is doing and say, you know what, God, I see you here. I see you there. I see the growth you have in me, God. God, I think I have a roof over my head. God, I think that my fridge is full. God, man, God, you're good to me. We have to recognize those moments. And it says in verse 7 that the angel of the Lord, he said he, he this, is why, this is why I love God again. The angel of the Lord, he came back a second time. Who's thankful for second chances in your life? Man, who's thankful that God didn't give up on you just because you ignored him the first time or the second time? And here's what's awesome about God. He, he not only goes, gives you second chances, but third, fourth, fifth, sixth. I mean, some of us, we need like 20 chances. Like, I'm one of like, God, I need God, like, I need 30 chances. I find God, okay, God convinced me. Like, God, who's thankful that God doesn't just give up on you so quickly? And God, that's what God cares about you. He provides for you. He gives you. God is a God of second chances. And it says, as we continue on, it said, and he touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, remember, practically strengthened by that food, he was able to travel 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. So he, he, Elijah came to Mount Horeb or, or, or Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. But where he was in Beersheba, to travel to Mount Sinai, that was a 200-mile distance. And usually, that would only take somebody on, to walk. That would take somebody 10 days to walk there. But it says that God gave Elijah 40 days. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking, you know what, if for us to you know, qualify for God's goodness, shouldn't we have to be, like, perfect, like, do it right on time? Like, shouldn't God said, okay, it takes 10 days to, to get there? Okay, Elijah, you have 10 days, okay? It's going to take your best. It's going to require you being perfect. But he gave him 40 days to get what only took 10 days to get there. God does not require you to be perfect. He doesn't require you to be perfect. He knows you're going to make mistakes. hate to break it to you, but God knows you're going to make mistakes, okay? He knows you're going to make mistakes. He doesn't require perfection he just desires perseverance from us. God doesn't mind us stumbling, you know, as long as we, again, don't, it says to turn back from what we're doing wrong. But what he does mind is that we don't get back up and that we give up and we let the enemy condemn us and think that, okay, if I made a mistake here, you know what, I'm not going to make it there in 10 days. I made a mistake. God's not going to bless because I made a mistake. And then we give up on the purpose on the inside of us because we think it requires perfection. God does not give you purpose because he thinks you're going to be perfect. God puts a purpose on your life, and all it requires is perseverance, to persevere through some things. Now, saying, hey, that doesn't, mean, that doesn't mean that everything has to go right. That means, you know what, I'm going to get back up again. I know I made a mistake, but I'm going to turn my back on that, and I'm going to continue after God. Elijah had 40 days to take a 10-day journey because God knew that Elijah wasn't perfect. 
God knew that Elijah probably, you know, got hungry again or whatever. He knew that he wasn't perfect. But he still, he, he still gave him that opportunity. He said, you know what? This persevered through me. Get to that place. It says he, went, he was going to the mountain, God, to meet with God. He gave him 40 days. I want to encourage somebody. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to make all the right decisions. You don't have to act like everything's okay. Be okay with making a mistake. Because when you realize you made a mistake, then that's when you can acknowledge that you need Jesus. Because if we were all perfect, let me, let me give you a newsflash. You wouldn't need Jesus if you're perfect. If you were perfect, you wouldn't need Jesus' forgiveness. If you were perfect, you would need his grace and mercy. But God knows that we are, we are, we are, not, we are finite. God knows that. So he knows that there's going to be times when we're going to stumble. And in those times, we're going to say, you know, God, I messed up, but I'm thankful for your blood. I'm thankful for your forgiveness. I'm thankful that I just have to look up and acknowledge, God, I'm imperfect. But you know what? You're perfect. Your grace is sufficient, and I'm going to ask for forgiveness right now, and I'm going to get back on this horse. I'm going to go towards that purpose. Do not let the enemy condemn you just because you made a mistake. Do not let the enemy condemn you for that. Do not let the enemy convince you that you're not good enough just because you fell short in some area. There are some dreams in this place. There's some purpose in this house right now that we are on the verge of giving up on because we, didn't, we, we failed one time. We might even fail twice or three times. But let me tell you something. If God started something on the inside of you, he's going to see it through. He's going to see it through. And it's not going to be based on our perfection. Come on, somebody. It's not going to be based on us having all the right decisions in our mind. It's not based on us having all the right experience. It's all going to be based on us having the perseverance that, God, I'm pursuing after you. I'm pursuing after you. King David, the man after God's own heart. If you read King David, you know he wasn't perfect. <laughs> if you read about King David, you know he's a murderer, adulterer, uh, all these bad things. And I'm thinking, God, how can he be a man after God's own heart? It wasn't because he was perfect. Man, he knew when he made a mistake, he knew where to go. He said, God, he said, God forgive me. I, I made the mistake. And he got back and he followed after God and he reached his purpose. We've got to know that God doesn't require perfection from us. And verse 9, as we continue, and so... There, Elijah, he, he went into a cave, and he spent the night. And then the word of the Lord came to him. And God asked him a question, you know, a question like, God, why did you ask him this? He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He literally asked Elijah to come there. Elijah gets there. He's like, what are you doing here? Elijah's like, you call me to be here. God asked him obvious questions. But, see, God will ask you some questions, and it's not because he doesn't know the answer. When God asks you a question, don't think it's because he's curious what the answer is. He knows the answer. When God asks you a question, he wants you to reveal your heart. When God asks you a question, he wants you to stop hiding things on the inside of you. Because here's the thing. If you hide it, God can't heal it. If you hide things from God, God he can't heal them. God can't heal the things that you act like you, you, you don't have. You know, if you, if you just go up and, and you're in your prayer time and say, God, you know what, everything's good right now, everything, everything's together, you know, pray for so-and-so, they're messed up, but I'm not messed up, you know, you know, everything's good. Like, if you do that, you're going to find yourself in the same cycle, you're going to find yourself messing up time and time again, but you say, you know what, God, I'm not hiding it anymore from you. God, you already know where I'm messed up. Now it's time for me to reveal my heart. I messed up here. I need, I need patience here. I'm, you know, I'm about to strangle somebody there. I got to give me patience. You know, like, 
I'm going to stop. If you stop hiding things, then that God's God come in and he can heal them. You say, you know what? Now I know why you're here. You're here to reveal some things on the inside of you. Now I can heal them. Now I can strengthen you. Now I, now I can give you that peace. Now I can give you that patience. And it's all because we stop hiding and stop trying to act like God doesn't know. He knows what's going on. So when God asks you a question, don't think he doesn't know the answer. He wants you to reveal what's on inside of you. And that's exactly what Elijah does in verse 10. He replied, he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. Elijah looked up to God in that moment. And he revealed what was in his heart. And God already knew. Elijah looked up to to God and said, God, you know, I'm in the valley right now. I feel alone. All my colleagues, all the other prophets, you know, I've loved Israel with all my heart. I've done your will. And yet I'm on the run for my life. I'm in a valley right now. You might be, you know, in this place and you might feel exactly how Elijah is feeling. You might find yourself in a valley tonight. Might be a valley of debt. Uh, it might be a, a valley of you know un- whatever it is. You know you might find yourself in a tough place tonight. But Elijah was revealing his heart, and Haley can join. I'm about to close, and y'all can can y'all stand to y'all's feet and join me. Elijah was looking up to God, and he was just revealing everything that was on his heart, and he was telling him how he's broken. He was telling him how how all these things that were going wrong and how he felt lost and alone and in a valley and, and he felt things were falling apart and, and sometimes it can feel, life can feel like that sometimes. When you come down from a mountain top moment and you come down from a place of, of like you just had a, an awesome experience, sometimes life can throw you a curveball. And you can say, man, I don't know what happened, but now it feels like my, my, my family. Now I'm, I'm struggling to keep my family together. Or I don't know what to do. Or, or my, my, my marriage, it, it feels like my marriage is falling apart. I don't know how to put back the pieces. God, I, I'm in a valley right now. And he's just revealing all these things that's on his heart. And I, I, that's what we have to do when we're in the presence. We got this reveal all the things on our heart. Say, God, I, I'm, I'm struggling with depression. Or God, this anxiety is gripping my, my soul. Or God, I'm so fearful right now of the future. I don't know what to do. And he's revealing all these things in his heart. And watch how the Lord responds. In verse 11, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. It says, then a great powerful wind tore through the mountains and uh, and tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Then after the fire came a gentle whisper. A gentle whisper. Do you know how we navigate those valleys? You know how we navigate the valleys of, of depression, of anxiety, of fear, of doubt? You know how we navigate the valleys that life tries to throw at us, to shake us from our faith, how we navigate those valleys is that we have to bring God so close to us that we can hear him whisper. We have to bring God so close to us 
that we can hear his, his leading voice. And let me tell you, when God speaks to you, it's not going to shake. Uh, it's not going to be an earthquake. It's not going to be so loud. There's going to be times when God will, you will hear the audible voice of God. There will be those times. But most of the time, it's a whisper. And God whispers to you because he knows that only those who are close can hear. Only those who, who have brought Jesus close to their hearts will be able to hear the whisper of guidance, the, the whisper of peace, the, the, the whisper of, of showing them what to do next and where to go and encouragement only when we bring God closer to us. I want to close with this thought is that our proximity with God is what will lead us through the anxiety of life. Our proximity with God is what will lead us through our anxiety with life. Let me what I'm explain, let me explain that. It's that the farther you are away from God, if your proximity, if you can't hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit, if you can't feel his leading, I'm telling you, when anxiety comes, you're going to give way. You're, you're going to give in because God will feel far and your anxiety will feel close. But when you bring God so close to you that you can hear him whisper, that you can hear his, his voice, such a soft whisper came. Not demanding. You know, God's a gentleman. He's, he's never going to just yell at you that, you know, that hey, it's going to be a whisper. The Holy Spirit's going to be a whisper. And when you can hear that and you can feel him so close, that's the voice that's going to lead us through the valley. That's the voice that's going to lead us to victory. That's the voice that's going to take us places that we can never get to. And it's going to be that voice of God because we had him so close, so near to our heart, so close to what we're doing every day that we're giving God time in the mornings or, or that we're making sure that we're having that time of worship, that we brought him so close that when the anxieties of life come, however loud they may be, when the doubts of life come, however loud they may be, the whisper of God will be louder. The whisper of peace will be louder. The whisper of identity will be louder. And that only happens when our proximity to God is at the level where we're saying, you know what, God, I'm bringing you so close now I can hear you whisper. And you might be asking a question, Caleb, how do I get to that place? Don't think that you have to jump through these, all these hoops. Don't think that you have to be a Christian for five and a half years and read the whole New Testament. Then you can hear the No, all you have to do is say, you know what, Jesus is Lord. Father, forgive me. God, I just want to be in your presence. And once you just begin to focus on Jesus, once you just begin to focus on who he is, all of a sudden that small voice, that whisper, that small voice that will re-encourage re us, that will make us know who we are in Christ, that small voice will begin to rise. And it won't be because of our works. It won't be because of our routines. It won't be because of, of look at me. It's all because we said, you know what, I need to look at God. I need to make sure that I'm lined up with this will, that I need to make sure that I'm spending that time with Jesus. We're about to sing some psalms, but I want us to pray right now. And I want us to be able to get in that space, to get in that moment, to welcome in the Holy Spirit, to bring in that atmosphere of reverence, that atmosphere of how good God is and his power to fall on us to the point that the proximity comes and we can hear his whisper. Because the Lord will always be able to be in a place to give you guidance. He will always be in a place to bring you closer. But the world, what the world will do, the world will try to, to, 
confuse you with depression, confuse you with anxiety. I'm going to tell you the, the noise of the world will be loud, but we've got to get to that place where the whisper of God is even louder. We've got to get to that place where God's touch is even more powerful than the world's pull. We've got to get to that place, man, where we don't have to be so strong. Man, I just want to get in the presence of God and feel that whisper, feel that touching, and feel that leading. And that is what it's going to get me through the valley. So at this moment right now, I just want us to pray. And after we pray, we're going to sing a couple songs. But I just want us right now, Father, to welcome in your Holy Spirit. Get us to the place that we are, Father, that we can hear that whisper, God, that the proximity that we have for you is the closest that it's been, God. Because, Father, we find ourselves in valleys right now. We find ourselves in a struggle right now. We found ourselves in a battle right now. And the world's trying to be loud. Opinions are in our head, God. The enemy's trying to convince us of lies. But, Father, we want to hear this whisper. We want to hear the leading. We want to hear your spirit, Father, in this place. So right now we welcome in the Holy Spirit to fall on us with every hand lifted, wherever eyes closed, Father. It's not between the people around us, but you can draw a circle around yourself and say, God, is it between me and you right now? I need to hear a whisper. I need to feel a touch. I need to feel that leading that you're going to take me places through this valley, God. I need to know who you are. I need to get reminded of my identity. I need to know who holds the peace in his hands. This valley, this depression, the anxiety, all it takes is whisper. All it takes is that small, quiet voice to calm those storms on the inside of us. So right now, God, we pray, Father, come into this place. Fall on us, God. Let us draw closer to you. We don't want to leave this house tonight still feeling the waves and the anxiety being washed over us. We don't want to leave this place still having the same fears. God, we want to leave this place knowing who you are, God, knowing our identity, Father, being so strengthened, God, in our spirit that we're not afraid, God, that, that we're not doubtful, Father, but we know from the whisper of who you are. So with every head lifted, let's begin to sing a song. Let's begin to sing a song. Let's begin to sing a song. Begin to sing a song. Begin to sing a song. Begin to. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. For more information about who we are, visit RiversideChurchTX.com.